It's a, it's a hard thing when you get up in age. <laughs> you climb up to just this point right here. You have to be careful. Of course, there's a lot of booby traps around here. <laughs> and I do have a scripture I want to read. Because they they work for a little while and then they just make it worse. Uh, and these glasses are so dirty. I, I think I'll do. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the glasses are so dirty. I, I, I think I'll just try to try to do this. It, one day we won't have to worry about this. Isn't that right? One day we won't have to worry about I can't hear or I can't see or I can't walk or I can't breathe. Al won't have to worry about wearing a vest because he'll be... I better not go there. There's something you need to understand about Alan. He has unique ability to go back many, many years in the filing system of his brain and pull out a comment that you made and use it against you at the appropriate time. He has a unique ability there. I know this. At, I know this right now. When Jesus uh, was at the Lord's Supper or at the Passover before he was going to die, he told his disciples, I have a desire, I eagerly desire to have this supper with you. Fully aware that they were all going to run away fully aware that they were all going to abandon him when he was turned over and when he was crucified. But we won't have to worry about that either because Jesus eagerly desires to have this supper that we're doing right now, this memorial. He eagerly desires to have it with us right now. And that's the great thing about being his family. We all come together It binds us together. You can't remember Jesus without remembering your brothers. That's his point. That was his whole point. You can't remember what I've done with you without remembering your family. It binds you have to put up with me whether you want to or not. Jesus said so. We have to put up with each other. That's the great thing about grace. That's the great thing about mercy. That's the great thing about our Lord. That not only he says, yeah, you remember my body and my blood, which is poured out for you, but you remember as you take this bread and as you take this cup, ask yourself, do I love and support this family? Because it brings us together. You can't have one without the other. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your grace, your mercy, your sacrifice, and that you planned this for us before the beginning of the world. And that you knew us before we were formed. And that you knew that one day we would be your family. And we would be here celebrating the mercy that we have through your sacrifice as your children. Be with us as we do this and remember. In Jesus we pray. Amen. In the crushing.
like I do, with more emails in your inbox than you care to read. Anybody have that problem? I have actually nine email addresses I check every continuously on there. And that just happens being an IT person and all this kind of stuff. It just happens that way. So when I go into my email, my, my default is just start swiping and cleaning up all the mess so I can get to the ones that I want. But there's one that I get on Monday morning, that's very important to me, 
that I got to make sure that I don't swipe too quickly. And I'm going to explain why in just a moment. As you see, probably, yeah, up here behind me, you see this QR code. And it's very convenient now because you have a QR code. You can put this in. You put it into your PushPay account, and therefore you can set it up where it's recurring and it's automatic, and it makes it very convenient. And while that is convenient and it's, and it's a does some really good things for us. Sometimes I struggle with the word of convenience when it comes to dealing with our relationship with Christ. When I listen to the words of Christ, when he said things like, the Son of Man doesn't have a pillow to lay his head on, count the cost. When I hear him tell a man to sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor, then you can follow me. When I hear him say things like, take up your cross and follow me. I don't see convenience as something that's important to Jesus in our relationship with him. And so this email that I get every Monday morning, sometime between 9 and 11 o'clock, is my receipt for donating to this church. I want to open that up every time I see it and think about what I'm doing. Because I don't want it just to be something that's just done automatically that I don't think about it. Our relationship with God has always got to be deliberate. His relationship with us was deliberate. He didn't make it convenient for himself. And so our relationship with God. So I open up that email every time I get it, even though I get it every single morning and Monday morning. I want to see what I gave and meditate on why I'm doing that. And that's what we all should be doing as we go into this time of offering. It is a very, you know, giving to, back to the Lord is a very personal thing. But it needs to be something that's very deliberate. And that we put prayer, that we put meditation in on to make sure that we are really thinking about what God has done for us and why I'm giving back to his body here to continue his work. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, I pray each one of us that are even listening to this this morning. Take the time right now and meditate on what you have done for them. The blessings that you've showered down, the promise that you've given, the hope that we have, the, 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 the promise of heaven, the promise of relationship, the promises of peace. And so, Father, as we think about all of these blessings that we have for you, I pray that we meditate then on what we do when it comes time to sign into an app or to write a check or to pull our wallet out. Whatever this is, I pray that we make this something that is not ever rote and convenient, but it's something that is deliberate in us saying, God, this is yours, and we are thankful and we love you. 
We praise Your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. I'm David Bromley. Welcome to White's Ferry Road. These are your announcements for the week. Thank you to everyone who has poured themselves into the Psalms, or really how the Psalms has poured into you. We are coming towards the end of the month, so at this point you should be getting pretty close to the end of the Psalms, somewhere around the hundreds. Uh, we pray it's blessed your life, uh, and the feedback we've been getting that it has been a blessing. Uh, Mike Williams continues his class on Psalms, and of course we're continuing our class on how great is our God. So thank you all for pouring in to our Bible classes and taking the time to attend and be there. We know we've asked you to sign up for a lot of things, and you have done so well. One more thing we're going to ask you to sign up for, and it's a small group experience called Growing Gospel-Centered Families and Relationships. This small group experience will run for eight weeks beginning February 4th, and it'll be at 9 o'clock during the Bible class hour. We all desire to have the gospel at the center of our lives. So whether you find yourself married with children, married with no children, single, single again, an aunt, an uncle, or just you're flying solo in this world, we want to pour into you godly principles that we find in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament about how to let the gospel be the center of your life and your relationships as you grow in him. This group is for you. Now, sign up begins right now. There's a QR code on the screen. And we only have room for 30, so don't miss this opportunity this first time out. We'll be running this in the future if you don't get in this time. White Spirit Road has been my home for 37 years. I came to know the Lord here. My wife and I dated and got married here. I went to school here and was trained here. We raised our family here. It has been so much to me and my family. And we pray that this is, continues to be a blessing for you and yours. Welcome home. Thank you, brother. David needs that applause. I just want to thank uh, my dear brother Steve Adam for showing us the ravages of time in one communion talk. He can't see, he can't hear, we can't hear him, he can't read, he had a device, but he never read from it, do you notice that? I've heard through my minions that he calls Mike and I the belly bros now, just clever, it's funny, I can't deny it. Steve looks like a Civil War lieutenant. With his new beard. And the reason he's still a lieutenant is he's such a smart aleck, he can't get any higher than that. (laughs) But I love him. We uh, are excited that you're here today. Uh, Over in the other room, they had a a beautiful baby blessing. I was thinking about when Dave's comments and announcements about having longevity, being at a place uh, for a long time. And uh, over in the Fellowship Center, we got to witness a brand new family uh, with a brand new baby uh, now walking in the Lord with new opportunities and new vision. And that really is what it's all about. Amen. And I love the opportunity that we get to have as being a part of the forever family at WFR. 
Uh, Kenley Patrick, would you come on up here? Kenley is going to be our scripture reader today. She's nine years old. She goes to Caroli and it says here she likes to read, which is good because she's reading our scripture today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Ooh, how about that? Great job, Kenley. She also has, yeah, awesome, got a Kenley crowd over here. Uh, she also has a very famous great-grandmother, one of my favorite people uh, in the whole world, Margaret Smith. So uh, we, uh, we're talking about the renewed life uh, from the book of Psalms. The first week we talked about David's special role in that. In Psalm 1, he challenged us to live a renewed life. Last week, Mike looked at the importance of God's truth from Psalm 139, because that really becomes the basis of where we go when we're talking about living a renewed life. Today, we're going to look at some Psalms from Asaph uh, that I mentioned uh, in week one, and some very special things are going to, we're going to talk about relationships, and it starts with our relationship with God. So as we begin today, I want us to hear from another renewed life right here at WFR. So roll that video. My name is Josh Patrick, and the relationships in my life helped change my legacy. I was not raised in the church. I can count on two hands, maybe even one, the number of times I was in a church service through my early 20s. God just wasn't a priority in our house. He wasn't even a topic of discussion. But even with that, I can remember at a very young age believing that there was a God um, but my view of who this God was was skewed. Uh, to me, this God was out there somewhere. Um, he was unknowable. He was uninterested in humanity. And my thought on that was, well, God, if you don't want to have anything to do with me, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And I, I live that out. Uh, I essentially live by my own morals. I did what was right. In my own eyes, and I was looking for fulfillment in just about any way a person can. The the main way that that manifested itself in my life was through alcohol abuse. I started drinking at 16. By 17, I was binge drinking every weekend. And when college started, that went to being blackout drunk multiple nights a week and that was a habit that carried on into my late 20s. Um, it was what I was known for. My, my life re- revolved around that. And, um, you know, that was the legacy that I was building for myself. Uh, somebody who was a drunkard and who rejected God. Um, little did I know at the time, though, that God was working behind the scenes to put the exact right people in my life that I needed uh, to get things turned around. And the, the job that I was working in at the time began taking students from the other side of the state uh, to bring in and train and build up. And I, I walked into to work one day and um, hung over because that's the norm for me. And 
across the lab, I see the most beautiful blue-eyed girl uh, I'd ever laid my eyes on. And uh, somehow or another, I convinced her to date me. And a year later, we were married. And our relationship was really a clash of two different worldviews and backgrounds. So told you mine, but hers was entirely different. Katie was raised in the church. Um, she was the, the granddaughter of Bill Smith. And she came from this incredible multi-generational legacy of faithful followers of Jesus. And I was obviously didn't. Um, and it created some, some issues in our marriage. She, being the, the faithful good wife that she was, she was attempting to share Jesus with me. She was setting the example and the pace in our relationship, encouraging me to go to church, to be around good, godly people. Meanwhile, the opposite side of that is I was trying to pull her into the sin that I was living in, trying to get her to run the bars or run to the bars with me. She knew that where we were at, which was Shreveport at the time, that, that was a toxic environment for me and she started working on a plan to to get me out of that and so she used my pride against me she found a a job that she knew i wouldn't be able to resist here locally in west monroe area i applied i got the job and we moved here and for the first time in my life i began attending church regularly um, and for the first time I had the truth of who God is being poured into me. About two months after our move here, I felt this overwhelming urge that I now know was the Holy Spirit prodding me to go visit her grandfather, Bill. Uh, Bill was an elder, a teacher and preacher here for many years. And so I went to go see him. And uh, we just visited that night. But he asked me at the end of that visit, would you be willing to come back and visit again next week? And I said yes. And when I went back the next week, Bill was ready for me. Uh, he laid out the gospel, and for the first time in my life, I had ears to hear the message. And that night, we met other members of the family up here at the church, uh, and my uncle-in-law, Paul Stevens, baptized me that night. And it was the change that I needed. Afterwards, Bill asked me if I'd be willing to do some deeper studies with him, and I jumped at the opportunity. For the next three years, we met every week, sometimes multiple times a week, and just dug into the scriptures. And he, What he was able to show me was that this view of who God was that I held for so many years was, was wrong, that God really did care about us. And he showed me how God worked uh, generation after generation. And he impressed upon me how important it was to pass what I had learned on to others. And that's exactly what I've been trying to do. Uh, that One of the very last times we, we met, he closed his Bible, he closed his notes, and he looked me square in the face and he said, Well, son, I think you're about ready to teach. And uh, I've been trying to do that ever since, starting with, with my own family. And uh, I was blessed this past year to be able to, to baptize my daughter. And now she is part of the fourth generation of that legacy that, that I was grafted into when I married Katie. There isn't a day that goes by that 
I'm not grateful for all the time and effort that, that Bill invested into me. And for the example that my wife set in that first year of our marriage when I was lost and, and searching, um, she and Bill poured so much into me. There's a 0% chance that I'm doing what I'm doing today without them. Um, they changed the trajectory of my life. They, they changed my legacy. And now um, I left my previous career um, serving full-time in ministry. I'm blessed to be able to do that here at WFR. And uh, now what I'm working on is continuing that legacy that was passed down to me and passing on to that next generation what I've been taught. My name is Josh Patrick, and I'm living a renewed life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Josh, for sharing. Um, I won't lie, I was moved to tears earlier this week when I was watching the video and preparing for today. A lot of people around the country talk about the impact of the Robertson family on their lives, and we give God all the praise and glory for that. But you guys here know, without the Smith family, there would be no Robertson family. Because someone invested into us. Amen. Praise the Lord. And if you congratulate them, they're going to do what we would do. They're going to point up and say all praise and glory be to God. But that's what this morning is about. That's what our lesson is about this week and next week. It's about the power of relationships and what they do to both make us stronger, but also give us purpose and give us hope and give us a renewed relationship, both with God and with each other. Uh, I mentioned Asaph the first week. He was um, David's director of music. And so he wrote, he's credited with at least a dozen of the Psalms. And he probably wrote more because there's several, we don't know exactly who wrote them. But Asaph had quite a pedigree. He was from the tribe of Levi, uh, which means he was in the priesthood. So he was serving in ministry in Israel. He had talent. He was a singer. He was a musician. We also know from Second Chronicles that he was a seer and a prophet. So this guy had a lot of ability. He had a legacy. 400 years after he lived, the sons of Asaph restored the temple and restored temple worship after the Babylonian captivity. So this is a great man. But we also know from his Psalms, and the one we're going to start is Psalm 73 today, if you want to turn there, is he had a trust problem which led to a heart issue with this man. And I I love that the Bible is full of heroes and people that we look up to that are just like us, flawed individuals who are willing to admit that they don't always have everything on right. And that's what Psalm 73 is. In verse 1, Psalm 73 says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So that's how I was going to start this psalm. And when the first time I read through this as I was preparing, I thought, you know, he could have, he, why did he put the word surely in there? Because he could have just said, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And I don't want to criticize a songwriter, 
But by adding that word, I think we see right off the bat there's this element of doubt in ASAP. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if I sat down with you and we had one of Bill Angeles pecan pies in between us. That's how you become a belly bro, by the way, when you have moments like that. And we ate a piece of that pie. And I said, is that not the best pecan pie you ever laid a lip on? And then you said, it's good. But I think my grandma's may be better. And then I would say, surely you're not going to sit there and tell me that your grandma's pie is better than that. Now, why would I phrase it that way? Because I'm making a statement of fact. If you've ever eaten Bill Angeles pecan pie, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm leaving a little bit of room because I hadn't eaten your grandma's pie. So maybe, right? And that's what he's doing here. He makes this statement. But in that is a little bit of doubt because we're not sure. We're human beings with a human heart. Now, that word surely is interesting because when God uses it, it means something totally different than when we use it. Genesis 6.13, God said, I am surely going to destroy mankind. Guess what? It happened. God says it. It's going to happen. He said in Genesis 18.18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Guess what? Happened. All the way down through time, including to us today, still surely blessed by the faith of Abraham and the seed who is Jesus Christ. Now, two chapters after God said Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, Abraham said to himself, Genesis 20:11, there is surely no fear of God in this place. They're going to kill me because of my wife. If you go back, I don't have time to set up the whole context, but Abraham is afraid. He runs up on his first real trouble. It's a situation he's not sure about. He's already been told that he is going to be the father of all nations. And this great man of faith doubts. And he uses the same word God uses, but in his case, it's doubt. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, out of a sinful, terrible, guilt-ridden situation. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You ever felt that way? Man, you were into something so bad. Your life had gotten to such a point that even though you know better, you were thinking, surely even when I was in my mother's womb, I had to have been evil and sinful. Surely. What about when Jesus told the twelve on the night before his death, one of you is going to betray me. You know what every one of them said? Surely not I, Lord. Including Peter and including Judas. Surely. It means something different. For us it means doubt. We don't have that surety of God. So when he starts out and he says, God is good to Israel, to those who are impure in heart, when you look at verse 2, he says, but, and this is how I know he was doubtful, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. 
well, what happened to you, Asa? How did, how did you get on such shaky ground? I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He looked at the world around him. Other people were prospering and being blessed in his mind more than him. They weren't living the life that he was living, and he was envious about it. He had a heart problem. And you know what the real problem was? He didn't trust the Almighty. It's not right. I look around me today in our culture, and we're rife with this. That's where the con- the concepts of equity, DEI, you know, s- systems that are biased and racist, that's where all this comes from. The Bible calls it what it is, envy. You look at other people, you look at yourself, and you say, I ain't getting mine. So something needs to be done. People want to change the system. You need a new system is what you need. And in the new system, you trust in the Almighty who made everything. That changes your heart. And that's exactly the problem that he's having here. He says in verse 21, if you drop down, when my heart was grieved, because by the way, that's what happens. You get angry. You get bitter. You have grievances. You want other people to know about it, and you want vengeance. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. We got any of that going around today? Hmm. I was a brute beast before you. That's what he told God. I see it. I see how it can happen. If you can't trust God... You won't trust anybody else. I can guarantee you that's true. That's where it begins. If you can't trust the one who made you and made your heart, and instead you look to something else, you will always fail in your relationships. Over and over and over again. There's a reason why that the more you divorce, the higher the rate you're going to divorce. Because you're still there with the same heart. Doing the same things. It will not work. It takes a change of heart. Here's the way Paul would put it in Romans 1. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See it every day, don't we? Maybe see it in your own mirror. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. It's a trust issue. Either he made it and he's real or he's not. And if I don't trust that, I don't trust anybody else. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they may do what ought not be done. They are senseless, faithless, Heartless, ruthless. That's what happens when you follow your heart instead of following God. Asaph called it a brute beast. So what are you going to do about it is the question. Are there no answers? Do we just need another election, a new party, a new government program that's going to bring us out of all this? No. We need a heart change. 
we need to do something different than what we're doing now. Here's what Asaph said in verse 23. Yet, in spite of all this, in spite of my problems, in spite of my bad heart, in spite of my envy, I am always with you. What he said was, I'm with you, God, always. That's a heart change. You hold me by my right hand. I love that. The presence of God. And even though we can't see him, we can see him. And we can feel him. And we know his presence is there. Just as if he was holding our hand. You ever been there? Where you were in some bad situation, but you felt the presence of God? A peace that you could not understand? You guide me with your counsel, the wisdom of God, open ears, closed mouth, and an open heart to his counsel. That's what guides us into better. And afterward, you will take me into glory, he said. Don't you love that hopeful thinking? No matter how bad the situation gets here, we understand the glory of God. Nothing can get too bad here that's going to take away what I know glory with him is going to be like. I live that way every day. Whom have I in heaven but you, he wrote. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. What a statement. In my portion forever. Whoo, Asaph, now you're singing my tune, Right? God, his heart, then becomes my heart. And that changes everything. Here's the way John would put it in 1 John 3.20. If our hearts condemn us, and they do because we mess up, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Which you know what that means? Al doesn't know everything, but he knows God. And God knows everything. And that's good enough for me. That's what I need in him. I can trust him with my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind. Well, what does that look like when that happens? When you see a changed heart. We saw one on the screen today. We see a lot of them every day. Saw this brand new family with changed hearts and a new little one now with a future of a legacy that they look forward to. What does it change next? It changes your vision. In Psalm 77, Asaph writes this in verse 1. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. You know, the hardest thing about seeing clearly many times is knowing where to look, right? You have to know where to look. There's a reason why they named the movie about mom and dad and our family the blind. It wasn't just a duck blind. It was about not knowing where to look. But then when you do, a clarity happens. And then everything becomes clear. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. 
How do we do that, Paul? By fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. The hope of glory. You remember the story of Mark 8? It's one of my favorites. It's such a quirky little story, but it fits so beautifully with this thought about clear vision. There's a man there in Bethsaida, and he's blind. And he's, and he's obviously hears about Jesus being there, but Jesus is trying to go low profile. So he goes and he takes him by the hand and he leads him out of the city. Now just think about that. You talk about having and holding the hand of God. This blind man literally was holding the hand of God who led him out of the city. And you remember then he, he got some saliva and put it on his eyes. Jesus spit. Now there's power in that. You know, you hit your finger, you put it in your mouth. There's pretty good healing power in our own saliva, but it ain't Jesus spit, right? Puts it on the man's eyes. He said, what do you see? Well, I see people, I think, but they look like trees, which is weird, right? So then he touches him again. Now, this is the third time he's actually touched him. He held him by the hand. He put the Jesus spit on. Now he touches him another time. And the Bible says his eyes were restored and he saw clearly. And you know what he saw the first time he saw clearly? The face of Jesus. Now think about that. You think that man was changed for the rest of his life? You think he understood what it meant to have the heart of God in his heart beating? When you look to Jesus... You see clearly. You see past your own mistakes. But the hardest thing about seeing consistently past your obstacles and doubts is knowing when to look. Not only where, but there's a when. Here's what Asaph would say in verse 7, Psalm 77. Now, these questions sound harsh, but we've all asked them at some point in our life. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Hey man, hey Sam, come on man, you're Mr. Negative. He's going through a hard time. You've been through a hard time? I've been through a hard time? I've asked some hard questions to the Almighty because I didn't understand You see, Al doesn't know everything, but he knows God, who knows everything. It's not wrong to ask the questions, as long as you know he has the answer. And the answer may not be right now on my convenient time. It's going to be on his timetable. So we ask the questions, the doubts, the obstacles, the trials. See, that's when it's hard to see clearly and consistently, unless you know when. Listen to what he says in the next verse. Then I thought, Asaph said, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember the miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. You display your power among the people with your mighty arm you redeem your people 
Sometimes you just got to look back and see what God has done. Sometimes you look around and see what he's doing in other people's lives. When you can't get there yourself, you have to be reminded the God you serve is who you need to give your heart to. It happens. That's why you need community and relationships and family to get you through the hard times. Someone once said that the reason a windshield is a lot bigger than a rearview mirror is you need to be looking forward. And that's true, right? When you're driving. But when you're driving this car of life, you want to be looking forward. But every once in a while, you need to remember where you came from. You need to be able to look back, see the mighty deeds of God and the victories that he has performed in your life and others. And you need to praise him and tell other people about the victory. That gives them hope. That's what he's done for us. Therefore, I can see clearly and consistently. So if I've got a heart of God, and now I have a cleared vision, now I can change my legacy, which is what Josh talked about in the video today. And in Psalm 78, there's a great text, that entire psalm, about legacy. It's 72 verses long. I can't read the whole thing today. And I know you're reading Psalms. Hopefully you've already read it. If you haven't, read it today. Psalm 78. It's beautiful. When I used to preach here full time all the time, I would say to this congregation that one of these days I'm going to be speaking at your funeral. Because I was doing a lot of funerals back in the day. Because that's what happens, right? We transition. And my challenge always was, look, make it easy on me by living life in such a way that I have something good to say about you at the funeral. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I've had to struggle with a few. I might say who they are. I would rather you live in such a way that your legacy is so obvious. We couldn't help talk about what God had done through you. Do you want to live that way? You see, legacy is about digging it out. He says in Psalm 78, 1, I will read this. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from old, things we have heard and known, things that our ancestors have told us. Legacy is about digging it out. I mean, the word of God is powerful and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts to bone and marrow and straight to the heart. And the more you dig in it, the more you have to give to someone else. And the longer your legacy will be. You dig it out. But it's also about paying it forward. You don't keep that to yourself. You don't want to become a monk in a monastery studying for your own benefit. How do you bless the world around you? By paying it forward. I've had so many people, Lisa and I have, that invested in our lives in our 40-plus years now here at WFR, people paid it forward to us. So guess what we do today? We're paying it forward. And there will be others that will do the same thing, that have stories like you heard this morning of four generations and more of faith, where 400 years in the future you'll, they'll be talking about the sons of whoever. That's the blessing. 
paying it forward. He said in verse 4 of Psalm 78, We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation. He commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. You see how it works? You want to know what happened to America? We quit talking about America to the next generation. Don't teach history anymore. We alter what has been done to teach that we're bad and evil. And so we have people here, our own citizens, our brothers and sisters, that hate our country and what we were founded on. That's what happens when you don't adhere to paying it forward. And the last thing the legacy is about is living it now. I'll jump all the way down to verse 70 of Psalm 78 because he brought right into the present of where he was living, Asaph, and he said this, verse 70. He chose David, who was his king, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. And skillful hands, he led them. And that's the two keys to any relationship and any legacy. A heart of integrity and hands that work, that bless, that never stop. And that's our challenge today. The kingdom of God is about action. And it's also about reaction. Because the evil one is going to come at you. There are minions out there that want to destroy us. We know that. And how do we react when that happens? How do we deal with what happens in our lives? It's also about growth and impact. And it's about community and other relationships. That's the beauty of forever family. And look, you never know when you're going to meet your next best friends. I remember we moved out to Wellspring Road. We got to name the road, so we called it Wellspring Road. Because we were thinking the Wellspring of Life, but there's also some natural springs out there. We're right next door to the cemetery. That's going to be a happening place at the resurrection, right? A lot of people I know coming out of the ground. We met John and Paula. Started living life together with them. And then others that built on that street. Trey and Anna were there, and... David and Karen and Lindy and Billy and Philip and Alicia. Man, all these forever family, people we still have relationships with. Today there's a couple here from Alabama. Waterside. We went from Wellspring to Waterside. Always something to do with water. New best friends in Christ. That's the beauty of relationships. When we share a heart that God has put in us in a vision to help other people. That's what legacy is about. And that's my challenge for you this morning. What is your legacy? What is God going to do in you? You say, well, man, Al, I can't really think about legacy because I'm just right out of jail. Well, you've taken a good first step because now you're listening to me. Talk about what God can do in you with a changed heart and a clear vision and a commitment to follow him no matter what.
But first you have to answer the call. And the call is you have to walk away from that old life and become something new. We've already seen it today. People have committed their lives to him. Some people were baptized earlier. Commitment to new. Answering the call. Confessing our sin. And you know what you get then? The beautiful thing? Clarity. You can see it. You'll see the old evil one building a trap for you. You'll say, oh, don't go over there. That's bad. I'm going to go over here where it's good. I'm going to live with a community of believers. That's what a forever family does. And that's why we're here today for you. If you need to answer that call for the first time, today's the day to do it. Man, to take on Christ, to be included in him, what a blessing to be renewed. If you need to do that and never done it, now's the time. Or maybe you just want to share some other hurt because maybe there's something going on in your life that's difficult. You need some people to walk alongside you. That's what we're here for. If you have a need at all, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?